Who wants to be a good person? A good person. I mean, who wants to be a person that is good to other people? Just like really gets goodness into the lives of other people. A channel for goodness in the world. Who, want, who, want, who, wants, to be, who wants to be a good person? So somebody who wants to be a good person, just, just stand up. I just need one person to stand, stand up. Or eight people. Thank you. You're just, you're beating us. Okay, that's enough. That's enough. No, just stand up, stand up, stand up. Stay up. I'll pick, I'll pick, I'll pick Paul. He's a good person. And more importantly for this exercise, he's a tall person. Okay, so there you go, Paul. It's okay. All right, I'll choose, I'll choose Paul and Natalie because they're both tall and, and they go together. All right, so the rest, rest of you can, can sit down for a second. Not that you're not good, but... All right, you're going to be good people. You're going to be good to other people, right? Look at that. Look, look at the radiant goodness in the Schroders. They're pretty good people. I'll, I'll personally testify. They're pretty good, pretty good folks. Okay, so they're going to be good. Who needs, who needs good people in your life? You're, you're, just in, you're in a place in life. You're in a season. You're like, I need some good people. I, I, I need some goodness in my life. Right there, Gats, uh, yeah, I see Jed, I see Nick. You just need some good people. All right, so you can have the Schroders in your life provided you are good to them. All right, so they're going to give you tons of goodness. We'll just pick, we'll just pick Gats and get these over here. And, uh, and you're going to give goodness back to them, right? Serve. Volley. It's Wimbledon right now, right? So at that cost, would you accept, would you accept that deal? Yeah? Give goodness back to them? Sound good to you? Good trade? Ladies and gentlemen, in a very elementary, juvenile way, what I, we are demonstrating here is holy society. Holy society. People being good one to another. Somebody needs goodness, he seeks good people. Good people provide goodness, and it is returned. That's it. Thank you. You may sit down. Uh, I appreciate you being tall. That's it, you know? I mean, just being good one to another, and I think that's what the Lord has in mind for human society. Goodness upon uh, goodness. Um... We have celebrated a, a social formation uh, this weekend. We have uh, celebrated Independence Day, 4th of July, uh, the declaration of our nation, which was really a declaration of a formation of a certain sort of government, if you want to get really technical about it, uh, independence from, uh, from Britain, a formation of a new collective, uh, so to speak. Uh, you may or might not know this, but I have a PhD, not in like, you know, theology or anything spiritual. I have a PhD in political science. Uh, I used to study government for a living. In particular, I studied how governments interact with other governments. But, you know, I spent a lot of years thinking about government and what political scientists tend to call the state. The state, which is the government uh, apparatuses. And here's, here's a truism about all governments everywhere. Governments expand. Once you start a government, it is its nature to expand, to grow, 
to try to control more and more in a given society. That's what governments do. Governments never contract, not, not under their own volition. They only expand. Are you following me? Uh, laws get more numerous, not less numerous. Government agencies get more numerous, not less numerous. That's just the nature of governments. And, and one big reason for that is because governments develop inherent interests. You know, governments have a budget. And then people who work for the government, they all compete for that budget. And one way they compete is by starting new programs. And then they need more money. And then you need more taxation. Uh, and then you have to provide more services uh, to people. And government just kind of takes a bigger part of the pie in any society. Uh, that's what happens. Governments expand services and they expand resources. And in order to do that, they need to expand control over people, just the nature of government. Invariably, you get a governing class, you get unions of government employees, and there comes with that in society a temptation to surrender to government all sorts of uh, things that used to be supplied through simple social interaction, right? Uh, pedestrian example. Uh, families used to take care of the elderly. But now we have a vast governmental apparatus to do that. Uh, we've organized our society differently. You know, we have social security and all manner of, of programs. Uh, about 25% of our social spending is directed to taking care of our elders, which right, in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing, but that used to be handled differently. Uh, government expands that way. The founding fathers, if they came back 239 years after the Declaration of, of Independence, and they looked at how our government is right now, they would be absolutely aghast at what our government has become. There's an income tax that used to be illegal. Um, there are career politicians, which used to be really frowned upon. That's not what, uh, that's not what people did back in the day. We mentioned all the social security programs. Right, not, not sort of, I'm not preaching a, a political stance, I'm just saying, this is, this is what happens in society. Uh, when they formed government way back then in 17, well, they started forming government back in 1776. Uh, it was first and foremost a declaration of a limited sort of government because they didn't like, they had some bad experiences with unlimited government, right? Um, and their idea was that society at large would limit the growth of government, right? Because you were giving people the vote. You were giving people control over the government. That was their philosophy. It was a brand new philosophy in the history of the world. And it's really done well for itself, uh, I, must, I must say. And I say all of that political science-y stuff just to say this. Uh, where government expands control, where the state expands control, people will become political because political competition determines so much. Uh, where government is limited and small, people will be social. Right? When the government takes care of everything, we don't need to be as relational as we used to be. Right? We need to be relational and social where there is no sugar daddy uh, taking care of things and, and controlling things. And I say all of that so that I can say we probably don't value simple goodness and good relationships like we used to. Because we don't need to like we used to. Right? Because a lot 
of what we used to take care of socially, relationally, we now take care of governmentally. Um, and uh, sometimes it's good to imagine a world in which people just relied on goodness like they, like they used to. That's a good mental exercise. A world in which people were recognized for being good, in which we actually needed people to be good to one another. It's a healthy mental exercise. A fair bit of uh, the social law in the Old Testament is concerned with developing what you might call customs of goodness, social customs that encourage people to be good to one another so that everyone got cared for relationally. Um, that was how social problems got solved back in the day. God taught people to be good to one another. He gave them some customs, some institutions, indeed some commands about taking care uh, of one another, but it had to take place on a relational level. Uh, and in a society that, that works like that, no, I will say if a society is to work like that, uh, if a society is to rely on just people being good to people, uh, then goodness should be and probably will be recognizable. You will learn to recognize it in your neighbors because that's the thing that is needed uh, in society. It is valuable and necessary to the functioning of the community. Um, one way in which uh, um, I've experienced this, I remember meditating on this uh, years ago, even when I, was, when I was in grad school, studying all of this stuff, uh, living in the big cities, um, I noticed that uh, homeless people on the street would often run across four lanes of traffic to ask me for money. You know, I'd be walking down the streets in, in South Chicago, I'd be in some busy stretch uh, of road, and you know, there'd be quite literally thousands of people on the street. And you know, in every street corner you have uh, any number of, of homeless beggars, and they would spy me at a distance. I would notice this, and they would, they would leave their corner, and they, they would, they would cross traffic, they would run down the street, they would pick me out of a crowd of you know, hundreds of million people to come ask me for money. All the time, all the time. Um, why would they do that? And I think, I think what it was is that they recognize, well, I, I'd like to think they recognize God in me. They recognize the Holy Spirit on me. They recognize me as a good person. I have a kind face. Which is really sort of interesting because I have a stone face, right? I am not known for being a super expressive person. Everybody gasp on three, one, two, three. No, really, I'm not, I'm not as expressive as you think I am. Um, but if you are a homeless beggar in uh, the big cruel city, you learn to recognize the spirit of goodness on people because that's what you need. That's what you need. And you learn to recognize and value what you, what you need. Right? Experienced it all the time. Well, we are doing a sermon series in the book of Ruth, and the story of Ruth is a story about people who needed some goodness, uh, about people who were good, some people who needed to find goodness in others if they were going to make it. And it's a portrait 
of how things work in a world where people value goodness in one another. And that's a helpful picture uh, to have. We're going to read the entirety of Ruth chapter 3 uh, today. Uh, it's, a, it's a short chapter, so it's not as intimidating as it sounds. It's in the back, on the back of your program. It'll be up on the big board. You can follow along on your iPhone Bibles. Or anybody have a classic Bible today with covers and everything? There's a few out there. Excellent. We're kind of old school here at Blue Water Mission. Here's how it goes. You know the story so far. Ruth, a foreigner, has come to Israel with her widowed mother-in-law. They're trying to take care of each other a little bit. Ruth has been gleaning, has been scavenging in the fields, scavenging grain from the fields of this man named Boaz, who is a really decent fellow and has treated her really well. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you. Uh, Ruth was a young widow. Naomi, her mother-in-law, having benefited from Ruth's kindness, is now trying to be kind to Ruth. I, I must find a home for you, a forever home, as they say in uh, the Humane Society. I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. I must find a home for you where people will take care of you. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor, which is what you did at the end of the harvest. When the harvest had come in, everybody got together and they did a winnowing party, which they, they they basically removed the husk from the grains, uh, and they did it together, and they made a party of it. Uh, tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. Again, it was kind of a big party when they did this because it was a successful harvest they were celebrating. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. That is creepy. (laughs) This is actually in the Bible. What the heck is going on here? Um, Actually, what's going on here is when when a woman... uh, Usually the way it would work is that a woman would, would kneel down or lie down next to a guy and, and lift up the robes and uncover the feet. The feet were very symbolic back in those days. And it was a way of offering yourself for marriage. Uh, don't ask me why it got started, but uh, even today in some Middle Eastern cultures, this is still sort of done. Uh, but it was usually part of a negotiation, you know, a family negotiation for a made marriage. Um, and so it was... It was one family's way of saying, through the young woman, I'm here if you want me. And then the man would make sort of a formal acceptance of proposal or something like that. So this is actually a little, this is a a familiar social drama, uh, but in a very unfamiliar way. You usually didn't do it at a party, and you usually had a whole, you know, families working together. So this is extremely forward. This is... I mean, basically, even today, women do not often propose to men uh, out, out of the blue. Uh, this, is, this is that. This is that 3,000 years ago, uh, where it was even uh, less likely. And in a context that was in, 
uh, very inappropriate, very forward. So that's, that's what's going on here. He will tell you what to do. I just love that phrase. I, just, I don't know. I could talk a long time about that. Say, I, I, yeah, I bet he will. Um, I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered, which was a, a vote of confidence because Naomi is asking Ruth to do something that's just a wee bit forward and freaky. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do, which is my policy. I always do what my mother-in-law says. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking as, and was in good spirits, it's a good celebration, it was a good harvest, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down in the middle of the night. And lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. Yeah, there's, there's a woman lying on your feet. Something startled the man. He turned, and there was Ruth lying at his feet. Interesting moment. Uh, who are you? He asked. It's dark. She's dressed up, covered. He doesn't know. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of my family. If the guy spread uh, the corner of his garment, that was symbolic of, I accept this marriage proposal. And there's that phrase again, which we've heard earlier in the book, you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Some of your translations will say kinsman redeemer or something like that. Basically, the deal was, if your brother died and left a widow, as a brother, uh, you would marry his widow and bring her into your household in order that she be taken care of. If you didn't have siblings, then a close relative uh, would do it. You know, if my, if my nephews, if my nephew died uh, leaving a young widow, I would marry his widow and take a widow into my house. Uh, people had more than one wife on occasion back in those days. Uh, as you well know, and you're all looking at me with sort of a squeamish look on your face. But this is the way that young widows got taken care of uh, back, back in the day. Uh, so a guardian redeemer. Uh, goel, I believe the Hebrew word is. Um, and the role was bigger than that. Basically, if my brother died leaving lots, lots of debts, I would be responsible for his debts. Uh, I would be responsible for the management of his estate, whatever that would be. Families took care of everyone in the family uh, because that's how people got taken care of back then. And this is one way uh, of, of that happening. Here's Boaz's response. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. Remember, she has been kind to Naomi, and Boaz has noticed that. Now he says, this kindness is even more amazing. You have not run after the younger men, whether, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. I will accept your freaky little proposal. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. You're good. And somehow that makes it possible for me to be good to you. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. So there's a, there's a relative closer uh, to Naomi. Was, they're all Naomi's relatives uh, by blood. And really that person has responsibility and privilege, not me. Uh, so there's that. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, 
uh, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you, marry you, adopt you into the family. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. I will adopt you. I will marry you. I will take care of you. Now lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor, because this was very inappropriate and forward. He also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley, like six liters of barley, and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Did it work? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. So good Chinese family. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happened. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Naomi feels like she understands Boaz. Naomi wants to be good to Ruth as Ruth has been good to her. So Naomi hatches a plan. Naomi has good intentions, but what a plan it is. It's just a little bit freaky. It involves a lot of social overstepping kind of forward. A lot of people would have said it was entirely inappropriate, even, even immoral. But clearly her intentions are good. And a good person recognizes that, as Boaz did. Uh, we've explained the winnowing celebration. It was a big party because there was a successful harvest. Uh, so eating, drinking, probably people were imbibing a little, a little wine, feeling pretty good. It was a big 4th of July celebration, in other words. And, and uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of inappropriate behavior uh, in, in the story surrounding the party. A woman went to the fleshing, uh, a single woman goes to the threshing floor to participate in this party. A single woman did not go to a party unescorted in those days unless she was a real party girl, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and so she keeps herself kind of secret when she goes there because, ew, yeah, it was kind of inappropriate. Uh, and then she kind of stalks Boaz, which is kind of creepy. You know, wait, wait till he's done eating and drinking, so he's kind of filled with liquor a little bit and then watches where he goes to sleep and then sneaks over to lie down next to him. Even today, pretty, pretty weird, pretty forward, right? And then she gives a very forward marriage offer based on this kinsman-redeemer type uh, relationship, which is normally negotiated by families, but Naomi and Ruth have no family, so they have to be very brash, very inventive in the way that... You, you things. And Boaz wakes up in the middle of the night. He has this moment. What the heck is happening here? And then he immediately recognizes not the inappropriateness of what's happening, but the goodness in what's happening. Good people recognize good people, yeah? We've seen it all throughout this story. This tells us volumes about Boaz. His reaction just speaks volumes about who the man is. Uh, Boaz does recognize a certain social awkwardness because he says, look, stay here until morning. Don't go out in the streets by yourself, honey. Uh, and then when the morning comes, he says, you know, hey, let's just sneak you out of here uh, because this would really damage your reputation and who knows, uh, maybe mine uh, as well. But the biggest thing is that he receives Ruth's offer as kindness. 
he sees it as a kindness. This, this is the kindest thing you've done yet, is what he says to her. Why does he say that? Well, he says, you haven't run after the young men, rich or poor. You know, in other words, Boaz is, is rather advanced in years. There was probably a better romantic match uh, for Ruth out there. Um, I think what's happening is that Boaz realizes that Naomi and Ruth have chosen him because he's a good man. There could, that's why. Like, you could have chosen somebody else. There was a different way to go about doing this. But you've come to me because you value goodness in me. I just think that's impressive. That's, that's precious. That's goodness calling to goodness, kindness calling to kindness. Naomi's plan could have been different. It could have been designed to get Ruth into a house by seducing some hormone-addled young man of a good family, you know? Uh, could have been seduction based, but it's not that. It's kindness and goodness based. Or as we see uh, later in the story, Naomi could have sent Ruth to the closest kinsman redeemer who had a pseudo-legal obligation to take care of her. She, she could have played the, the government card, in other words, you know. This wasn't quite a government, of course, but she could have played the, the obligatory social relation card. But she doesn't do that. She plays it according to simple, solid goodness, which is what this story has been about through and through. So Naomi sends her to the, here's the word, the goodest man in town. That's, that's why uh, Ruth goes there. Uh, why? Why does she send Ruth to the goodest man in town? Well, she said it at the beginning. She wanted someone who would take care of Ruth. And if you want someone to take care of someone, you send them to the goodest person. It's just holy society. It's what's going on here. I, 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 wish, I wish all women were into good men. I really wish that. I really wish that men were into good women. I wish that goodness were a turn-on. I wish. Man, would that make a difference in, in, in my counseling calendar. But I think it would make every difference in society. Holy society. Enough said. Sometimes in life uh, what you need is not, is not more money, a uh, better job, more fun, more freedom, more rights, more respect. Sometimes what you need in life is good people. If you have no good people in your life, then ultimately none of these other things help you. If you have no good people in your life, then ultimately the government's not going to help you. Your bank account can't help you. Your social standing cannot help you. You need good people. Comes the day, you just need good people. And of course, the thing about having good people in your life, that is, it encourages you and reminds you to be good yourself. You know, if you value goodness in others, it really helps encourage goodness in yourself. Holy society. Uh, we've talked about this already in the sermon series. Ruth and Boaz, spoiler alert, they get married. 
they, uh, they have some offspring. Ruth and Boaz, uh, in making this marriage deal, changed the history of the world uh, because one of their grandchildren was King David and one of his grandchildren was Jesus Christ. So these people were the grandparents of Christ himself. And this is how it went down. Goodness calling to goodness. Ruth and Boaz changed the history of the whole world. But before they did that, they changed one another's lives through simple goodness. If we want to change the world, we would do well to start by changing a few lives through goodness. By building, by building some relationships based on goodness. That's the thing to do. For example, we have these things called Ohana groups. Have you heard of them? Um, they are just little, little pockets of holy society. That's what they're designed to be. People getting to know other people and being good to one another with the help and guidance of the Holy Spirit uh, who, is, who is really helpful, uh, who has smart things uh, to say and encourage and empower in us. Uh, so find one. Get into an Ohana group. You may say, I don't know anybody in this Ohana group. Yes, that's part of the point. You need good people in your life and you need to be good to people in your life. We have a little construct to help you uh, do that. Uh, Blue Water Mission has sort of grown as a church, and I'll just sort of tell you the way I think about it. I'm trying to be not so governmental about how uh, I lead uh, the church, which is I'm not trying to dictate from the top down or to create rules and programs and stuff like that. What I'm trying to do is to encourage goodness in people. Goodness flows from the bottom up. That's the way to take care of one another, ultimately. Ultimately, not through programs, but through good relationships. That's how we're trying to do it. Uh, it means that you have to be led by the, by the Lord. You have to be good people. Um, but if we pull it off, I think it will be amazing. I think it will demonstrate true liberty in a way that the world probably needs to see. We're not a program. We're a holy society. I think that's what God had in mind. Um, so join an Ohana group. Invest uh, in the people uh, around you. I would say more pointedly, develop some relationships based on goodness. Develop some relationships out of goodness. Uh, right now, uh, one of the great things that's happening in the life of my family is uh, I'm, I'm kind of being schooled on goodness by uh, my Serbian neighbor. Uh, her name is, is Dada. She's you know, coming up on about uh, 70 years old. She's a Serbian immigrant. Uh, she lost her husband. Uh, she lost her sons in the war in the former Yugoslavia uh, back in the day. Uh, she lives now uh, with her daughter and son-in-law across the street, and she has adopted our family. She speaks very little English. Um, but every day, uh, she walks across the street and to visit uh, Nana, um, who... Uh, it's getting on in years. I don't know. You notice. She looks young and beautiful, but she's 91. And every day, Dada comes across the street with a bowl of soup or some fresh bread she's baked or desserts, crepes. I don't know. Uh, she brings me, uh, like twice a week, 
a huge bag of kale because she grows it at the community uh, garden down along the Alawai. Um, just like she has no words to speak, virtually none, but she just, it's like, oh, you're my neighbor. I need to be good to you. I need to be good to you. And she's kind of created a society like that and just sort of schooled me on it, you know, because just that sort of attention and that sort of intentionality uh, is, 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 is just awesome. And this has been going on for, you know, about a year or so, a little longer. And at this point, I would be eager to take care of Dada. You know, she needed something. I'm, I am totally there for her. I, I'd take her, I'd take her uh, you know, into our house if necessary. We'd give her a hammock on the lanai. It'd be cool. Because goodness begets goodness. And uh, well, some people have just never forgotten that. Develop some relationships through goodness. They're awesome relationships. They are life-changing relationships. They are world-changing relationships. And if we all did that, we would change the world. It's simple, solid goodness. That's all it is. You have anything like that in your life? Have you created any relationships that way recently? Think about it for a second. Just, just been good on someone. You know? Have you been that person for anyone or anyone's recently? Man, it could be a social force. Let's pray. Just stay in an attitude of prayer, but I'll ask you some questions I asked at the beginning. Uh, who wants to be a good person? And who is in need of some good people in their life? Uh, we should be one another's answers. So, Father, we just offer our community to you as an act of liturgy. We lift ourselves and our, our ohana, our blue water family to you. Um, let goodness abound in this place. Just, just simple goodness one to another in a world-changing fashion. And we offer to you, Lord, anything that would just get in the way of us just, just being simple and good. We give you our incorrect thinking, lies or unbelief that we've got hung up on. We, just, we give you to that. No, that. That cannot be a problem. That cannot be a hang-up. In our neighborly relationships, in our family relationships, in our marriage relationships, can't be a hang-up. And we give to you, oh, whatever stormy feelings are getting in the way and tripping us up. That can't be a hang-up. And we give to you, uh, Lord, um, our own weakness, our fleshly weakness, and ask you to give us spiritual breath and empowerment. Just, just to be good people. Just to be good people. You got to be good before you're great. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.